you haven't already, if you get a chance, um, try to get by and see um, Hunter House before he gets out of here. He'll be a delight to you. Um, You may have already met our other visitors. Of course, uh, Miss Sharon back there, she's hard to deal with, or I'd tell you go back there and see her, search her out. But um, you can't get along with Miss Sharon Parrish. you got problems, real problems. And um, it's good to be in the Lord's house, isn't it? First Timothy, the book of First Timothy. This is our third look. The other two Wednesday nights, the previous two Wednesday nights we have looked, uh, have been preliminary observations, really. Now, I've tried to lay a little bit of groundwork for going through the book of First Timothy. I want to read the entire first chapter. I don't want to give you the, div- uh, the divisions of chapter 1. There are four divisions, and they easily mark themselves or lay themselves out before us. And so we'll give those to you, and then I want to cover the first one this evening which is um, verses 1 and 2. And Lord willing, we're going to start making our way through each division of each chapter of the book of uh, 1 Timothy. Let's just read, uh, um, let's read verses 1 and 2, then, then I'm going to probably go right back and read the first two along with uh, the rest of the chapter. But in verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior... And Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. You can't see this far. Uh, My Bible, I'm thinking about using a different Bible, putting all my marks and my notes in it, giving it to one of my kids. Uh, at least leaving it for one of my children and doing that every time I start a new Wednesday evening service or laying it by for one of my grandchildren one of these days. But one of the phrases that we labored in a little bit the first night is that phrase, my own son, my own son. You're going to see a lot of these phrases come up in every chapter almost. In chapter number one, there'll be several phrases that will come up. Verses 1 and 2, this is, um, you'll note there's a well-established bond between two brethren, Paul and Timothy. This is the natural greeting to the book of 1 Timothy, opening considerations. Where will he go from here? Paul, he identifies himself. He identifies Timothy that he's writing to. Where does he go from here? Of course, we know, we've read 1 Timothy a multitude of times, right? I've got a card on my um, on the brain box, if that's what you still call it. Jay will have to beat me up after service for calling it the wrong thing on my desktop. Every time I read through, I've been reading through it every morning for some time, the book of First Timothy. I just put another mark and want to continue doing that. Verses 1 and 2, you have the commencement of this epistle. The well-beloved Paul writing to the well-beloved Timothy. It is Paul's uh, hello, Timothy. He's just left him at Ephesus. He writes to him and gives him further instructions as to what he's to do while he's there at Ephesus. Verses 3 through 11, let's read these verses, and you'll notice a couple of these phrases that we've tried to point out, or a couple of these watch 
words. There's an obvious work in which Timothy is to engage. An obvious work. It's a needed work. The future of the church at Ephesus depends upon it. Corrupt doctrine has infiltrated the church. And we're given a warning here by Paul. He's saying to Timothy, Timothy, you've been entrusted with this ministry. That's what he's saying to him in essence. Look at verses 3 through 11. He writes, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. That word will continue to come up, the word doctrine. He writes, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now, the end of the commandment is charity. He said, This is the purpose. This is a purpose of my right. The end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience. Remember, we dealt with a conscience. We mentioned that last Wednesday. And of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. And that's right, isn't it? Not made for a righteous man. You don't have to call law enforcement on a good neighbor, a good member of the community. The law is not made for a man that has a heart to abide by the law. It's not made for a righteous man. You don't have to tell him how to behave. You don't have to tell him how to conduct himself in this world. Watch this. Knowing this, that the law is not made for righteous men, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, for and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Verse 11, we'll close this second section. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. An obvious work in which Timothy is to engage himself in. Verses 12 to 17, Paul gives us a personal witness of himself and his calling. A personal witness. He tells us about it, doesn't he? Oftentimes, Paul tells us about what God has done for him, and he's going to do so here in this pastoral epistle. The calling of Paul is written of in this section, the witness of Paul. What he says to Timothy is, Timothy, God has enabled me to do the work he's called me to, and Timothy, God will enable you to do the work he's called you to. Isn't it amazing how God will stand another brother up before a brother? Or another sister or another family up before family. To be an encouragement. You got through it. God got you through it. God used you in the midst of it. Watch this. Verses 12 through 17. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, Timothy. He enabled me. He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. God enabled me. He called me to it. He gave me what I needed in the midst of it. He said, Timothy, let me remind you of where God brought me from. He said, who was before blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious 
And I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. I wonder how many of us could just stop right here and recall where God brought us from and shame ourselves and say, I did do that unknowingly. I didn't know that I didn't know. I didn't know it was against God. I didn't know it was against my own soul. I didn't know. Paul thought he was doing God a favor when he acted and caused injury to believers in the early days of the church. He wrote in verse number 14 through 17 then, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, <laughs> which is in Christ Jesus. Everybody ought to say three cheers. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. He stops with a bit of doxology, doesn't he? He says, now to the king eternal immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen means truth. Verses 18 through 20, he says, Timothy, there's a warfare in which you are to engage in, a warfare. And he's saying, in essence, Timothy, may it be said of you, as I am soon to ride in another year and a half, that you have fought a good fight. That you fought, Timothy. That you were, as Doug Jones has said for years, every preacher ought to be a cross between a mule and a billy goat, kicking at one end and butting at the other. Kick, Timothy. Butt, Timothy. Do what is necessary to uh, preserve the work. A charge is given to Timothy. In verse number 18, we'll read this again here before we get out of our introduction for this evening he says this charge i commit unto thee this charge i commit unto thee timothy the wisdom of paul is saying and what he's saying in essence is if he were talking to timothy in our vernacular he would be saying timothy um god has equipped you for battle we don't always know do we? I'm doing tonight what I knew I was to do when I surrendered to preach when my pastor asked me I was uh, when he asked me do you know what God has called you to I knew exactly what God had called me to I remember uh Miss Shelley one evening uh Aaron before um uh, he went off to pastor we were riding home and uh, together and uh, he had been the Bible Institute classes, and we rode there and back. Anna was the first uh, uh, young lady ever got a certificate from our Bible Institute. Aaron and Anna went through together. But he was talking about some things that were working in him. And, and I, said, I, I said to him, I said, I wish somebody had told me. I wish somebody had told me that what God's doing in your heart, don't ignore it. He will bring it to fruition. He may have to drag you across some valley sideways one of these days, but he will work what he's put in you. He will complete. He will finish what he started in you. And you pay attention to it, and you cultivate what God's working in your life. He's saying to Timothy in verses 18 through 20, 
Timothy, God's equipped you. He's been step for step with Paul for 15 years, laboring in the shadows. He's been as Joshua was to Moses, as Elisha was to Elijah. And Charles Spurgeon has stated, there's a man for the time and a time for the man. He's saying, Timothy, it's your time now. You're the man. It's not Titus we need at Ephesus. We need you. They need you. You have a word. You have the demeanor. God's called you to it. Of course, this is the first of the three pastoral epistles we've come to in our Bible. And I've said some things really introductory to all three of the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. We believe they were pinned down 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy within about a year and a half. They're the last three letters Paul writes before he dies, having his head taken by Nero for his faith in Jesus Christ. They're called the pastoral epistles. Just as sure as the Bible was written in letter form, each book of the Bible in somewhat of a letter form. So it was with First Timothy, the, the, laboring, uh, the labeling First Timothy was given by man, of course. And it was not until the 18th century that 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus were called pastoral epistles. We have in our Bible the Gospels. We have a history book, the book of Acts. It records a transitional period, especially for the Jewish people. We have the church epistles, right? And then we have the general epistles in the Bible. And then we have the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling, the revealing of Jesus Christ. Um, First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus have been grouped together as pastoral epistles. And again, this did not happen, as far as any evidence we can get, this did not happen before the 18th century. Men were trying to aid other people in the studying of the Bible and understand what book fits where and why. First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus were labeled pastoral epistles because of the great instructions that's given to the church. I gave you a lot of watchwords and phrases last two weeks. I want to give you two more. Let me show you something. Notice the word some, S-O-M-E. It's found three times in chapter number one. And you'll notice these words as we go through 1 Timothy over the next little while. Look at verse number three. It does not have a good connotation to it in the pastoral epistles except for one time. Unless I've missed one of them. Look at verse three of chapter one. He says, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some, not all of them, some of them, that they teach no other doctrine. Look at verse number 6. From which some, not all of the church at Ephesus, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. Look at verse number 19 of chapter 1. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some, not all of them, Timothy, which some have put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. And then he's going to mention two of them by name, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Go over to chapter number 4, verse number 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some, not all, Timothy, but some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Look, if you will, at chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse number 15. And some, not all, Timothy, not all, 
For some are already turned aside after Satan. Chapter 5, the last two verses. Three times you find the word some. Verse number 24. Some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Verse number 25. Likewise also the good works of some, thank God, are manifest beforehand. They that are otherwise cannot be hid. Verse number 10 of chapter number 6. The Bible says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, not all, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Then the last verse of the book, chapter 6, verse 21, which some, not all, Timothy, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. Then, of course, you'll find three times in chapter number 2 that word of Second Timothy and I think that's the only time, only times you find it. Second Timothy, also the word charge is a watchword. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them in First Timothy. And uh, I have a book for one of our men tonight. It's a handbook. I think it's one of the better ones out there. Robert Boyd put it together many years ago. And the brother I brought it for don't, don't even know that I've been paying attention to his study in the Bible, and I want him to have it. And uh, Boyd for years labored he labored in putting together a bible handbook and key words to look for in a book of the bible or the books of the bible the other the other word i want to point out to you is the word charge except for one time in the pastoral epistles it means a command speaks of a command watch this right here in chapter one then we're going to get to these first two verses look at chapter one verse number three you'll find this word charge charge as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge, command, admonish. Thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Look at verse number 18 of chapter 1. This charge, this command, I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war, a good warfare. And then, and then um, on over in chapter number 5, verse number 21, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Chapter number 6, wait a minute, chapter number 5, verse number 7 Back up to there, the Bible says, And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. Now chapter number 6. Chapter number 6, verse number 13, I give thee charge, command, admonish you, hold you accountable and responsible in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Then you'll notice in verse number 17 of Chapter number 6, the Bible says, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Let's go back to verse number 1 and 2. Verse number 1 and 2. You notice in these two verses a well-established bond 
connecting brethren. A well-established bond connecting brethren. How many times have we stated, how many times have we heard it stated through the years? Sometimes a man is saved by the grace of God and he becomes closer to his church family than he does his own blood kin. Used to, you couldn't hem him up and run him up in the church, the front door of the church. And now you can't run him off. He makes a connection to someone that takes them under their, their wing, if you will. And they become if, almost closer than a brother. It's well-established bond connecting Brethren, this natural greeting to the epistle, verses 1 and 2, these opening considerations. Here again is the commencement of this epistle. The well-beloved Paul and the well-beloved Timothy. Paul is well-loved by Timothy. Timothy is well-loved by Paul. He's saying, Timothy, hello. Just saw you recently. Left you in Ephesus. Hello. I couldn't tell you all of it, so I wrote it down for you. I'm sending it to you. There's Paul the aged, Paul the elder. There's Timothy the younger. Verse number one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Paul the aged. He readily um, lets, us, lets us know of his apostleship. He says, Paul, he calls himself here an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle speaks of a sent one. There's a lot of old heads for years that believe that missionaries, that the word itself comes from the root of where we have the, if you do the etymology, if you do the study of the word, it comes from the root of where we have the word apostle. An apostle is a sent one. Our great apostle and high priest is Jesus Christ. We read that verse during our missions conference when we began it. I do want to say there are no modern-day apostles. There is no Apostle Betty. There is no Apostle T.D. Jakes. There is no modern-day apostles. There are none. Um, I know there are many who claim to be, but we reject apostolic succession. Or if you choose to pronounce it apostolic, as some of our charismatic friends do. There are no modern-day apostles. There's no Apostle Shambach or Copeland. There are none. We do not believe in apostolic Succession, or again, if you choose to pronounce it apostolic succession. There are those referred to in the New Testament uh, outside the twelve that are referred to as apostles, right? There's Barnabas, Acts 14, verse 14. There's James, the legal half-brother of our Lord, Galatians 1, verse number 19. Why are they called apostles if there are twelve? Why? It's because they were sent to the station God sent them. The use of the word, the usage of the word magnifies that. 
They were sent of God to where they were sent, to labor where they were sent to labor. Of Christ's twelve, they were witness to the teachings, the workings, and the resurrection of Christ. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm going to give you my take on it. In Acts chapter number 1, why did the 11, after Judas Iscariot had gone out and hanged himself, the Bible says, why did they cast lots, which casting lots, somewhat like not, it's not casting dice, throwing dice, but it was similar to it. Why did they do that? Well, I think, number one, they got the cart before the horse. Now, you don't have to believe that. But I hope if you do believe that, that if you don't believe that, when you get to heaven, I hope Gabriel slips up beside you and says, you know what that preacher said was right, don't you? They felt because 12, there were 12, and one proved to be a devil. Judas proved to be a devil that will replace him. God will always have his replacement. Now, that does not mean that God cursed Matthias. I believe he blessed him when the lot fell to Matthias in Acts chapter number 1. God blessed all the apostles. As a matter of fact, he blessed, he blessed all of them. But I'm convinced they got ahead of God on that. Now, you may not believe that. There's been a lot of debate on Paul and his witness to the resurrection or the resurrected Lord. Let me give you some places. In Acts chapter number 9, of course, on the Damascus Road, uh, the Lord spoke to Paul, didn't he? He said, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks, the goads. He said, every time you kick, it hurts, doesn't it, Paul? You had a gospel witness, probably had a gospel witness before the stoning of Stephen, but for sure at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen utters words similar to our blessed Lord. Father, forgive them. Don't lay this to their charge. Only a Christian can do that when you're taking boulders, trying to crush his brains out of his skull. Only a Christian can do that. Only a Christian can give his last morsel of bread to a hungry man knowing he has nothing to eat himself and thank God for the privilege. So on the Damascus Road, let me give you some other references, and you'll be making your way to 1 Corinthians 15. In Acts 18, verses 9 and 10, also in Acts 22, verses 17 to 21, in Acts 23 and verse 11, when I was a young preacher, preaching revivals, I used to preach a lot from Acts 23, 11 on, it's going to be all right. That's what the Lord told Paul. Let's read verses 1 through 10 of 1 Corinthians 15. This is our resurrection chapter in our Bible. 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Watch this, talking about the resurrected Christ and that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, of course, Simon Peter, and then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain under this present, but some are fallen to sleep. Some have died since, Paul writes. 
Verse number 7, after that he was seen of James, that's the legal half-brother of our Lord, and then of all the apostles. Watch this, beautiful. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. One born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. He doesn't say, watch verse 10. Keep your eyes on verse 10. Not on me. Keep your eyes on verse 10. Let me show you how this doesn't start out. This doesn't start out, I am what I am, does it? We got, we got too much of that in the Baptist church. I am what I am by the grace of God. It's not what he says. He says, by the grace of God. I am what I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace was working in me. But the grace of God, which was with me, said I was born out of due time. They, they walked with him and talked with him. I didn't get to do that. But I have seen him. And I have heard him, and I went to the Arabian desert for a span of time, and he taught me. He is indeed an apostle. Indeed, he is an apostle. Consider with me in verse number 1 also concerning Paul the aged, the authority, the constraint Paul writes this epistle with. Watch verse number 1. He writes, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, watch this, by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. The fact that Paul is an apostle gives him enough authority, but then he writes, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. When Paul writes to Timothy this first letter, it's not just, they're not just pen pals. It's not correspondence between two men. I wrote a friend of mine and got it, we got it in the mail yesterday. I intend to write more letters before the week is out. By the way, it wouldn't hurt you to learn to do that. That is a biblical practice, you know. Sit down and write out a letter. It is a biblical practice. It's been lost on our generation because we have the ease of text, email, fake book. I meant Facebook and all that sort of thing. You're determined in your heart somebody's been a blessing to you. Sit down and write them a letter. Doesn't have to be lengthy. Doesn't have to be lengthy at all. Paul was in the letter writing business. It is a biblical practice. This letter is of divine origin. It was intended to be read by Timothy, which he did. It was intended to be read by Timothy before the congregation, of which he did. It was intended to go beyond the church at Ephesus. We're reading from it tonight in 2023 at Charity Baptist Church 38863. And this letter will still be standing through eternity. Two verses out of 2 Timothy that sum up the book of 1 Timothy and every other book of the Bible. You know them. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. All scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, 
Throughly, not thoroughly, throughly, it means about the same, but throughly furnished unto all good works. So this book of 1 Timothy is a book of authoritative value, right? It's to be regarded such in my individual life and in our church life. Every church life. This book, these pastoral epistles have been overlooked for a long time. Paul writes with authority. He gives us a book of authority. And listen to what I'm going to say because I, I said something about this the last two Wednesday nights. Paul writes with authority. He writes a book of authority. But he is not authoritative. Here's what I want to say. He's not a bully. He's not a dictator. You remember we pointed out the first evening. The language of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus have a tone that's different. Than the rest of the writings of Paul. He knows the time of his departure is drawing nigh. He knows it's over. There's a couple of preacher boys that sent the world to him. He writes to them. Gives instructions about the church. He's not a dictator. Leadership is not lordship. It's not lordship. You remember we stated last week and touched on it Sunday morning. Um. Every pastor ought to have some spirit-filled men surrounding him. Every pastor. It'll help him, it'll help them, and it'll help the church. Keep us honest. Keep our eyes focused upon the Lord. Keep us in prayer. Keep us calling on one another. All God's people said amen. It's a book of inspiration. It's a book of importance. We are to read it. We are to believe it. We are to teach it. We are to preach it. We are to assimilate its teachings into our life and also into our church. So there's Paul the aged. I'm watching my time. Let's shift gears and hit overdrive. There's Timothy the younger. Look at verse number 2. He says, Paul, verse number 1, then he writes, verse number 2, Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm going to cover what I can of this over the next few minutes. Timothy the Younger. Two of our 27 New Testament books are addressed to Timothy. Isn't that something? The further we go, the more we'll learn about the personality of Timothy. Who would have thunk it? This shy, messed up boy come from a messed up world. Who would have thunk it? The Spirit of God would have the Apostle Paul, our theologian in the New Testament, write two epistles that would become two books in the New Testament canon of Scripture. A total of eight of our New Testament books are addressed to individuals. You remember the book of Luke is addressed not to some church somewhere, not to the saints scattered abroad, as James wrote in his general epistle, but he addressed it to Theophilus. You remember that? That was a Roman, a uh, man who held some Roman political um, position. And Luke has a heart for it. He's teaching him about the things of Christ in his gospel. Then you go to the book of Acts and he writes to him a second time. He writes to Theophilus again. 
and gives us our book of Acts. As a matter of fact, you could call the book of Luke 1st Luke and the book of Acts 2nd Luke. Man gave the titles to the books of the Bible. 1st Luke is the gospel of Luke. 2nd Luke, the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, he finishes with Theophilus, what he started. So there's Luke and then there's Acts, where Luke writes to this Roman political leader. The book of Philemon. Philemon had been wronged by Onesimus. Onesimus ought to have been in prison. He's not. Paul's in prison. Onesimus winds up where Paul is. He's run away. He's a runaway slave. And as God would have it, he winds up right beside Paul. Paul says, you're from where? You're a slave. You belong to who? Uh, Well, I know Philemon. You did what? He shared the gospel with him, and Onesimus was saved. And he began talking to Onesimus, how that he needed to make things right. He's going to send him back to Philemon. And before he convinces him to go, he writes that little epistle. He seals it up, and he hands it to Onesimus and said, When you get to him, give him this for me. He said, You go fess up. You do what you can to make it right. He had no idea the letter he was carrying that Paul, in essence, would say to Philemon, Onesimus has been saved. I have confidence in his salvation experience. Whatever he owes you, charge that to me. And if there's any other outstanding balance he incurs with you, I'll settle that up with you too. It's a picture of the propitiation of Christ and what he's done for us. Not only have my sins been forgiven, all my sins of the past, of today, of my tomorrows, it's all gone. My sins are gone. Oh, my sins are gone. Propitiation. He has atoned. Christ has. He has made me to be at one and to be at peace with the Father. I am justified, declared righteous. The play on that in Baptist churches for years is that word justified. Slow it down, break it up. Just as if I'd never sinned, but it's better than that. It's just as if I never even were a sinner. Now that ought to make a Lutheran want to shout. Philemon magnifies that. That little one-chapter epistle. There's 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, of course, addressed to Timothy. There's Titus addressed to Titus. There's the book of 2 John, another one-chapter book of the Bible. Listen to verse 1 of 2 John. The elder, that is John, John unto the elect lady, or the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. 2 John is the only book in the Bible addressed to a woman. You say, well, Ruth is named after a woman. And Esther, I didn't say that. What I said was, it's the only book of the Bible addressed to a woman, to the elect lady. So John addresses it too. Tradition holds that the woman written to was Martha of Bethany. You might be familiar with her brother. Um, His name's Lazarus. Her sister, her name's Mary. 
tradition holds that. We don't know for certain. I'm inclined to believe that to be the case. Some hold that this was John's sister-in-law because of the last verse of the little epistle. Some hold that this elect lady written to was a church. It's interesting, the word lady. The elder unto the elect lady and her children. The word lady there comes from the Greek word kyria. It's translated lady and it's also translated Martha. There's third John. Third John was written to a fellow by the name of Gaius. We're a couple of minutes after eight and I'm going to close. God knows what he's doing. He knew what he was doing when he put this book together and left it for us to glean from and grow. Paul and Timothy, these two men, they have a bond. Connecting them. The bond is Jesus Christ. I've said this over the last few years, several years, however long. You know it to be so, don't you? The bond that connects all of us, any of us, tonight. Is the cross of Christ. I'd have never met Ray and Rita Shelton. Had it not been for Jesus Christ. I'd have never met the Connors that joined our church Sunday had it not been for Jesus Christ. I preached to Jonathan Turnage a few years back. Didn't even know I'd done that. He told me about it right up here one day. Preaching from the book of Proverbs. I I did not know he was out there that day. He told me about it. I've taken a pretty good liking to Clay Owen. I think he's a fine young man, no matter what Drew thinks about him. I met him when he wasn't knee high to a grasshopper through Jesus Christ. He is the bond, right? He is the bond. Been some time, Denise, but we have been in revival services together with you and Donald saying, I'd preach on trials and you'd sit there and cry. I remember some of that. And it was Jesus Christ that let us worship together. Y'all in song, me in preaching, and we together. Had no idea we'd be sitting in church together on a regular basis years down the road. David Box lives, uh, he and Miss Peggy, over no man's land. It's called Blue Springs, Mississippi. But he drove by himself from Blue Springs tonight because of Jesus Christ. To sit with his church family that Christ has put together. This is a marvelous thing, you know. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The mercies of our Lord. Matter of fact, Paul in verse number 2 will say more about it next Wednesday. But he said, Timothy, he said, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. Our Father. We're in this together, Timothy. Grace, you're going to need a lot of that, Timothy. It is sufficient. That heavenly aid is sufficient. Mercy, Timothy. When you're overwhelmed in the labor, when the devil has got you, 
God has mercy for you, Timothy. Peace. Peace. He said, Son, Timothy, peace. From God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand dismissed.